just to start out this Sunday that we've set aside to talk about ministering to those with disabilities. Um, you know, when I, I go back to like thinking about when I was first saved, I was saved when I was in my 20s, when I was 20. Um, I was going to the best college in the country, Oregon State University. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and um, I got saved pretty miraculously. I, I, was, I was not somebody that grew up with uh, religion or any type of idea, really, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, I, I was, at the time, just living a sinful life, and uh, my father-in-law just um, tried to sum it up shortly, just was really honest with me about that and shared with me the good news in the process and, and the things that were wrong in my life that weren't right. And all I realized at that moment was I needed help. I needed help. I needed help with my sin. I needed help in being forgiven of my sin. And I had been going to this ministry once a week um, through the First Baptist Church down there where some guys would get together and play basketball and this college pastor would give a little devotional at halftime. And I had heard some of the stuff he was talking about regarding Jesus being the one that could help us with sin. And so that in my mind was who I need to go talk to. I need to go talk to this college pastor, man, because like I need help. I don't know where to get help, but he said something about Jesus being able to help me. And I went in the next day with a meeting with him and I, I understood that Jesus could help me with my, my sin in my life and I gave my life to him. I accepted that free gift of salvation. Amen, amen. He deserves a round of applause. Many of us have experienced that same thing in our lives. But all that to say is, um, you have to come to a place of acknowledging that you need help before you'll go to God for that help. And usually that takes getting, dealing with hard things in your life and understanding that you're not helping yourself. And everything in this world that's supposed to help you in some way is not doing what it's supposed to do. And it leaves you in this place of like, I need help and I don't know where to go. And God's been there the whole time and, and, and he's there and he's more than willing to help. And I think regarding with, with people that are dealing with some sort of disability, whether that's like physical, emotional, in, in, in some way, we're all disabled by the greatest disability, and that's sin. But when we have these, these, these physical, these emotional um, disabilities that we deal with basically because we live in a sinful, fallen world, sin causes the bad things that we deal with in this world. It's not God. It's our choice to disobey God because he doesn't want us to experience those bad things, but that's what sin leads to, all these infirmities that we see in this world. And when you're dealing with those very apparent things that are making life difficult, you realize quicker than other people that aren't dealing with those things that you need help. And I think that's why you see Jesus throughout the scriptures make it an intentional point to go to people that have disabilities because he realizes they're looking for help. They need help. They realize they need help and they're not finding it in anything else. And so they easily understand that, hey, he can help me. I need his help. I'm willing to believe that he can help me like no one else can. And so we're gonna look at a great example of that in John chapter five today. So you guys can turn there if you want. And the main purpose of this book, the mission statement, if you will, at least what I consider it, is found in John 20 verses 30 through 31. We're gonna be in John chapter five, but I'm gonna read this to you because it goes right along with what 
I'm telling you, it, it, it says here in John 20, 30 through 31, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So what he says there is these miraculous things that you see recorded in the book of John that Jesus actually did, they're for the purpose of showing you that he is in fact the son of God because only the son of God could do these things. He is in fact the savior of the world. He is in fact who he, he, he says he is and what he came to do to save you from your sins. It's to prove to you that Jesus is real so that you can place your faith in him and look to him to help you not only with your physical or emotional infirmities or the, things you're, the hard things you're dealing with in life, but more so to help you with the greatest need you have, and that is to save you from your sin so you can be forgiven of it and know him. And that's exactly why we see him do the things he does, all these miracles. It was to affirm to people who he was so that he could help them with their greatest need and help them with the hard things that they're going through in life. And so in John chapter five, that's what we're gonna see. So let me... Let me read through this section, uh, verses one through 15, and then we'll go through it verse by verse. So it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which was, has five roofed uh, colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew what, uh, that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, uh, going another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Lord God. What an amazing story. And I think to some degree, we can all relate to it because you've healed all of us in multiple different ways in our lives. Even as we talked about last week and how you changed Paul so miraculously from who he was, from Saul to Paul, who he had become. In many ways, you've, you've first and foremost healed us from our sin, full nature, setting us free from it but of all the destruction it was causing us as well. Some of us that meant physical infirmities, some of that emotional, mental, and you're still doing that even now. We've come to realize that you are very much our present help in our time of need, as in you're always present to help us in ways that ultimately no one or nothing else can. So as we go through this example, Lord, I pray you just speak to us, remind us, teach us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. That means house of mercy, which has five roofed colonnades or in essence, 
like covered porches over this pool. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So Jesus, he heads to Jerusalem. He's going there for one of the the Jewish feasts or celebrations. They had many of them. And this would have been an event that a lot of Jewish people would, would come to Jerusalem for to attend. So there's lots of witnesses there for what he's about to do. And there's a pool that's mentioned here, the Pool of Bethesda, which if you actually go to Israel, you can still see the remains of it. They are actually still there. And it's located, it was located just north to where the temple used to stand by the Sheep's Gate, which uh, verse two mentions, which is basically where they would bring the animals in that were to be sacrificed to, to God at the altar of the temple. And laying under these covered porches or colonnades, as they say, uh, that surrounded this pool, basically on all four sides, and then there's one that went right down the middle, were all types of people that had different, different physical disabilities. And, and all of them were looking to be healed. And verse seven actually tells us that there was some sort of belief that when the water stirred up in the pool, somehow the water would stir up. There's lots of ideas on why that was being caused, maybe by a spring underneath or whatnot, but the water would start to move. And whoever got in there first, would instantly be healed. Now, we can't know for sure if that was just a legend or if in fact God honored these people's faith in that thing. Maybe he gave them instances where he honored to reveal himself to them. But regardless, we know from verse three that a great number of people believed they could be healed here. And this made me think again, along with what I was saying in the beginning, and then some way or another, every single one of us in our lives at some point is looking to be helped or healed with something in our life. Would you guys agree with that? Okay. Maybe some of us have physical ailments like these people that make it difficult to function in our daily lives. And we just wish that those things would be taken away to make life easier. Um, Maybe we can be uh, those suffering with uh, emotional distress caused by a variety of things, maybe past abuse you've experienced or Uh, abuse that uh, you've actually dealt out to others and you're living in some form of condemnation or distress caused just by um, the hard things you face in this world, like worry and anxiety. I mean, there can be a variety of things that often can leave us feeling crippled and we wish that the Lord would just, or something, somebody would just set us free from these negative feelings that we have. And so often we can be like these people who are looking for worldly fixes to our ailments where we can think, hey, if I can just get in that water first, I can be better. Or if I just read this book, then I can be a better me. Or if I just follow this diet, I'll be healthier and I'll feel good. If I just go see this doctor, they can help me with all my problems. If I just take this medication, it'll make all the hard things go away. And I'm not saying that those things are bad in themselves because God uses books, he uses doctors, he uses medications among many other things to help people in this life with both physical and emotional and and mental distress. But sometimes we incorrectly look to those things as the answer to our problems and place our faith in them to help us when first and foremost, we should be looking to God, the creator of all things and placing our faith in him who can and desires to help you with any ailment we might have in our lives. And he very well might work through the different resources he's placed in this world to help us, but ultimately he's the one responsible 
for your well-being and cares about it more so than anyone or anything else. And as I mentioned in the beginning, there is another type of healing that some of us may not even be aware of that we're in need of that really is the reason for the emotional or physical distress you're experiencing in your life. And that ultimately is your need to be healed from your sin or forgiven of your sin. This infirmity that every single one of us is born with, this nature to do the opposite of what God says is good and right that we're a slave to, the Bible says. You can't help but do it because you know no better until you acknowledge that you're not perfect, that you have sinned, you have disobeyed God, and that you need his help to be forgiven of it, and you need his help to come into your life and show you what is right and what's wrong and to help you live in the rightness that'll lead to good things in your life. That's what we need to be healed of first and foremost, and that has a way of solving all the rest of the problems and issues that so often we bring upon ourselves. All right? Now, it goes on to say, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. So there's this man here that's suffered from a disability he's had for 38 years, it says, an ailment that a apparently made him unable to walk or move very easily as according to verse seven, he needed someone to help him go into this pool. And it would also appear from verse seven that he was someone that was a frequent visitor to Bethesda, probably constantly thinking and hoping that maybe this time is gonna be the time for me. Maybe this is gonna be the time that somebody helps me and I get into the pool first and I'll be healed finally. And it can be really disappointing to rely on other people in this life like this guy was doing according to verse seven because at some point or another, as I'm sure you would agree with me, you have been let down by somebody. And here's the reality, you've also let other people down. And sometimes that's not even your own fault because we all can tend to have unrealistic expectations on other people, all right? And as such, when our hope is in other people, we can often find ourselves in a place of hopelessness like this man, as verse seven indicates. But I can tell you there is one person that 100% of the time will never let you down. And that is Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean he's always gonna do what you wanna do because he knows better what you need than you even do sometimes. But he will never, ever let you down and he only has your best interests in mind. And that is why it is a far greater bet to put your trust and hope in him as we're gonna see this man find out. And notice that it was Jesus that sought this man out among the multitude of sick people that were there. The guy that was probably way in the back, furthest out of the way, the guy with the disability that couldn't help himself and knew it, the guy that came to this pool hoping to find someone that was willing to help him. And Jesus was more than willing to be that person. As he asks this guy in verse six, do you wanna be healed? And this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves at some point in our lives. And it's not really a matter of if you wanna be healed because every single one of us is gonna say, absolutely, of course we want to be healed. Of course we want to be helped. 
But the more important question is, who are we looking to for help? Which is what Jesus is trying to help this man understand. You see, there were a multitude of people that wanted to be made well at this pool, yet none of them were looking to Jesus to do so. There was God in the person of Jesus Christ in their presence who truly had the power to help any one of them, no matter what they were suffering from, but not a single one of them was seeking him because they were looking to other things to meet their needs. And they were so caught up in what they thought could help them that they neglected to see the only one who truly could. And as a result, they were left there in their ailments, just waiting for that water to move. And in much the same way, we can be looking to all kinds of things in this world to help us with our problems and be left there just waiting as these people were when the one person that really can help you and wants to help you and that's more than demonstrated how much he cares about you by allowing his son to die for you so your sin could be forgiven is right there just waiting for you to respond to his request. Do you wanna be healed? And it says in verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So judging by the guy's response in verse seven, he didn't understand fully who Jesus was at first as he explained to Jesus, well, this is how things work in the pool and it's not really going my way. I can't get into this thing. But I love Jesus's direct response because what would have seemed completely impossible in this man's own understanding is what Jesus tells him to do. In essence, what Jesus is telling him to do is like, Don't pay attention to what you see or you understand. Just listen to my word and believe it. And you'll experience what you're looking for. And there were basically three things that Jesus tells this man to do. The first thing he says is get up, which again would have challenged this guy to have faith to even try to do that. He's like, I've been here for like 38 years. I can't do this, right? So Jesus right off the bat challenges him. You gotta believe in what I say. You gotta believe in my word, have faith get up. And he says, take up your bed. This guy probably having some sort of like bed mat, like a sleeping bed or a cot thing to sit on. And Jesus tells him, pick it up. And as it's saying, you're not going to be needing it anymore because by putting your faith in me, I'm going to save you from your old life. And I'm bringing you somewhere new and you're not going back, but I want you to take it with you because it's going to be a testimony of where I brought you from. And then he says, and walk. Or in essence, you're gonna move forward in this new life I've given you. You don't need to look back. And as verse nine says, in faith, this guy listens to Jesus doing exactly what he told him to do and he's healed instantly. It says in verse 10, so the Jews or the Jewish religious leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So notice in verse 14 that this guy goes to the temple, which is ultimately where people would go to worship God. So in some way or another, he acknowledges it must've been God that saved me. I'm gonna go and praise him for it. And as this guy comes to the temple to meet with God, God in the person of Jesus Christ comes to meet with him. As it says in James 4, 8, when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He went looking for God and Jesus was there, God in the flesh to meet him. 
And in the first encounter with Jesus, he, Jesus addressed this man's physical health, right? But here in verse 14, we see that he's concerned with the guy's spiritual health because as bad as it may seem to live a life with a disability for 38 years, living a life apart from God full of sin is far worse and has much greater eternal consequences. And Jesus' comments are very straightforward again and practical in verse 14, where in essence he says, all right, you've been healed. You've been made whole. Now don't sin anymore. That was your old life. But now you're gonna move forward in your new life that I've given you. And the very fact that Jesus is telling him to sin no more must have meant that this man to some degree had placed his faith in Jesus because it's impossible for a person not to sin without first being freed from being a slave to it, which can only come through placing your faith in Jesus and having a relationship with him and him placing the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Amen? He tells us that in John eight thirty six, where he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this miraculous work God did in this guy instantly gave him a testimony because what it tells us in verse 15 is he goes away and he tells people that Jesus was able to help him in a way that nothing else or no one else ever could. So this man with a disability was looking for help. Couldn't find anyone else or anything else in this world to help him and that led him to where? Jesus who was more than willing to meet him in that place of need and help him not only with his physical infirmity, but even with the even greater thing he needed to be healed of, and that was his sin. And in much the same way, Jesus is always ready to help those that are looking for help and aren't finding it because he is the only one that can truly help us. This text showing us that those with disabilities are prime candidates for Jesus's help. And as such, we want to make sure we're doing everything we can to introduce them to him. Amen? So I'm going to introduce you to Spencer, a representative from Johnny and Friends, whose ministry is focused on doing just that. So you guys can go ahead and welcome him here. Thank you, Pastor Chris. It is wonderful to be with you all and worship with you all this morning and uh, just so grateful for the heart of your church to take this time with the Lord to look at God's word and how he views all people, including those people with disability as needing to be saved, amen? And so uh, today I have a, an opportunity to build upon what Pastor Chris has shared with you from the scriptures and uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the ministry of Johnny and Friends. Johnny and Friends exists to reach people living with disability around the world where they're at, to care for them and meet their practical physical needs, and most importantly, connect them to the local church where they can find a relationship with their Lord and Savior. Amen. And we do that through our mission, which is to glorify God as we communicate the gospel and to mobilize the global church, that's us, to evangelize, disciple, and serve people living with disabilities. And our vision is a world in which every single person living with disability finds hope, dignity, and their place in the body of Christ. And the biblical mandate that informs us, that 
inspires us, that drives us as an organization to go and to equip the church for the mission of reaching those with disability comes in Luke 14, which says, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. It's here, we have a, a curriculum that is a wonderful curriculum. It's called Beyond Suffering that Johnny and Friends produces. It's a college level curriculum. And one of our contributors uh, calls this passage of scripture the, the Great Lost Commission. Uh, the Lost Great Commission, rather. So we're all familiar with the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. But here, right at the apex of Luke 14, is this mandate in the parable of the great banquet where Jesus tells us where to go as we're going to make disciples. To go to the periphery, to go to the margins, to go to those who are overlooked and underserved in our communities right here where we live and reach them where they're at. Meet them where they're at so that God's house will be full. Why? This is a glimpse into heaven. Pastor John MacArthur uh, looks at Luke 14 and makes this uh, statement. He says, the church was not established as a country club or a fraternity house for fit, cool, and stylish people. It is a fellowship of those who recognize their own fallenness and utter helplessness, who have laid hold of Christ for salvation, and whose main business on earth is showing other needy sinners the way of salvation. Amen? If we neglect to reach out, especially to those who are blind, infirm, or otherwise disabled, then we are simply not being faithful heralds of the tender mercy of Christ, which we just read about in the scriptures. And so in our time today, and I'll be here available afterwards for anyone who wants to talk, and we've got training set up here this afternoon on disability ministry, I just want to encourage you to look at Luke 14 and ask yourself the following questions. Who are you inviting to the banquet tables of your life? Who are you inviting into the social circles of your life? Who's being invited to Thanksgiving? Who's being invited to coffee? Who's being invited to come watch the big game? Who's being invited to the birthday party? Because when you talk to families affected by disability, oftentimes they're not getting that invitation. We need to be intentional, as Luke 14 talks about, to go to them, to include those on the margins, on the outside looking in, to be part of the fellowship of Christ. Think about why that matters. We're gonna circle back to that at the end tonight, uh, this morning. And how is God asking you to respond? Uh, anybody in here familiar with our founder, Johnny Erickson Tata? Okay, good, handful of you. So Johnny Erickson Tata at the age of 17 in 1967 took a reckless dive by her account into some shallow water and broke her neck and it left her quadriplegic. 12 years later, God used Johnny's greatest misery as he does for his greatest ministry through her. And so uh, I'm gonna let Johnny tell her story for you this morning so that you get a better feel for how God worked in her life and how he has compelled her to work in getting this ministry started. 
For me, it's personal. It began back in 1967. I was 17, athletic. One summer day, I went swimming in the bay with my sister. I swam out to this raft, anchored a few yards offshore, took a reckless dive into shallow water. I knew then my life had changed forever. My doctor said, Johnny, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life without use of your hands, your legs. And I said, God, I can't live like this. I won't live like this. Because I couldn't hold razors or push pills down my throat, I knew I couldn't end my life physically, so I was tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I wanted to just lay in bed, tell my mother to turn off the lights and shut the door. Finally, in the dark behind that closed door, I, I cried out, God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. Thankfully, God put Christian friends in my life who opened the Bible and showed me that God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. He permits awful things like, like paralysis to bring forth Christ in me, the hope of glory. My Christian friends helped me find purpose in that, and I learned to give thanks, even in the little things. And with each bit of obedience, my faith grows, my perspective widens, the world gets bigger, and eventually I wheeled out of that dark bedroom and began to embrace life. I discovered there's a world of other disabled people in dark bedrooms who, like me, need to embrace life and know God. I started writing about this and speaking, and before I knew it, my message gave birth to Johnny and friends. If there are folks languishing in isolation without hope, our team at Johnny and Friends connects them to local churches and resources, providing a Bible and the hope of Christ. If there's a marriage breaking apart due to a child's disability, we'll scholarship them at one of our family retreats. If there's a disabled child in Uganda crawling in the dirt or a grandmother in Guatemala being pushed in a wheelbarrow, our Wheels for the World teams will provide a wheelchair and a Bible in their language. If someone can't reach any further than, than their radio, the Johnny and Friends radio program brings hope right into their home. Our Christian Institute on Disability trains pastors, policymakers, and equips churches. And when it comes to the next generation, our Cause for Life interns roll up their sleeves and they do disability ministry in dark corners of the world. My husband, Ken, and I are joined by an amazing team of Johnny and Friends, whether at our headquarters in Southern California, our area ministry teams around the country, or our network of partners and volunteers all across the globe. Our passion is to see people and special needs families embrace Christ, embrace the circumstances that God puts them in, and embrace life. I was there. I know what it's like. And for me, every face, every life changed, every soul saved is personal. So join me. Do as Christ commands in Luke 14. Go out quickly. Find the disabled and bring them into his fellowship. It'll not only fill God's house, it'll fill your heart. Equip the church. And so it might surprise you to know that one in seven people on the planet, nearly a billion people live with disability around the world. It's the largest minority group on the planet, just in pure numbers. 
And most would say, just by extension, it's the largest unreached people group on the planet as well. Uh, here in the United States, figures are as high as 25% of people living with disabilities. Uh, here in, in Oregon and Washington, it's roughly 2 million people. Oregon, 26% of adults live with some form of disability. It is present among us. And as we age and as, as the population continues to get older and, and live longer, we are all temporarily able, amen? And so it's incumbent upon us to understand that there is an opportunity within our own communities to reach those living with disabilities. It's the only group that any of us can become a part of at any time in our life. Think about that for a second. Now, here's the gap. As we continue to research and look at where these families and individuals with disability are in their relationship with Jesus, we find in our studies that only 15% of those with disability in our country are plugged into Bible-believing and teaching churches. Only 11% of churches are doing any sort of outreach to people living with disability. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is there a gap? And that's when I tell the story about Barbie. Everybody knows Barbie, right? And so Mattel, the maker of the Barbie doll, and its infinite wisdom, after 40 years of making the Barbie doll, finally creates a Barbie with a disability. And this is back in 1997, and, and we were all applauding Mattel. Thank you, that's wonderful, great. 40 years, we've got a doll that represents the community with disability. And it was all good until it wasn't. They get the doll into the hands of the kids, and the kids start playing with the doll. The doll's name's Becky. She has a wheelchair, and Becky doesn't fit into the Barbie dream house, if you guys remember the Barbie dream house. Now, what does Mattel do? Well, Mattel, rather than trying to fix the dream house, tries to go and fix Becky. And they try, and they try, and they try, and they can't get it right, and Becky gets discontinued. And it's so symbolic of what happens in our own culture and sadly, even in our own church today in that you're welcome here as long as you fit within the way that we do things. But if you don't, sorry, we just don't have a place for you. And we hear those stories for families affected by disability all the time in the church that get turned away because they don't fit into the way that we want to do things on a Sunday or as we do ministry during the course of the week. And our heart is to change that. And so as we come alongside the church, we walk through this process of culture change because each church is in a different place as it relates to this idea of disability ministry. And really, when we talk about disability ministry, it's anything that allows people with disability to participate in the full life of the church. So making all ministry accessible and available to people of all abilities. That's disability ministry in a nutshell. And so we find ourselves in this place from uh, exclusion where, where people just aren't able to come and participate in the church because of the physical and social barriers that might exist all the way along into and including this place of inclusion and belonging, which is where we want to be, creating gospel spaces of belonging where everybody participates in worship, fellowship, and receiving the word, amen? And the only way that we do that is to understand what those families, what those individuals' needs are so that 
we might need to make a few adjustments here and there to allow them to participate, to receive God's word, to be in fellowship, to be part of your community during the course of the week that everybody belongs. And that's where we want to um, help the church and guide the church in the process of training and equipping. And so I want to paint the picture of what the end in mind might look like for one church uh, here in Mississippi that tells a story of disability ministry. My name is Marie Johnson and this is my son Joshua Richardson. I started working here part-time in the nursery. Another family dropped their son off at the nursery and his name was Joshua with Down Syndrome also. And I mentioned, I have a son with Down Syndrome. His name is Joshua. I started bringing him and as time grew on, Joshua would always call Pear Archer his church because they were so open with him and they included him. The ministry with Johnny and Friends helps us to see that those with special needs are the largest unreached people group, certainly in the United States, perhaps even in the world. Our church was very much unaware of that, and that's become very important for us in terms of our whole sense of what good ministry and what good mission looks like. So having a disability ministry here at our church has had a significant impact on many, many different things. I think one of the things it's done is helped all of us as believers in our midst to recognize our own brokenness more deeply, to realize that, that brokenness appears in so many different ways and that it needs to be addressed and that there is so much commonality between all of us and those with special needs. It's hard to put in words. I'm getting kind of emotional just thinking about it. Since we've been here, he's been included in a lot of things that he probably would not have if we were somewhere else. I'm just so thankful that we have this experience and people have embraced us with love. I have an amazing mom and her parents. I love this church. So that's just one example, one story of, of Christ's accessible church, how God moves in his church so that people of all abilities are included and find their place of belonging up to and including contributing their gifts. First Corinthians 12 says, even those that seem weakest are indispensable and we all have gifts to contribute. And you saw Joshua contributing his gifts in the body of Christ. And Johnny herself would tell you, you don't have disability ministry until those living with disability are serving in disability ministry. That's the end in mind when we talk about disability ministry. And so, is the church a place of belonging for all people? And I have pastors and leaders ask me all the time, okay, well, what does that look like? We've gotten a glimpse through that last video, but what does that look like? And I tell them, well, come and take a look at Family Retreat, one of the ministry programs that Johnny and Friends puts on. And this captures what it looks like for families affected by disability who spend an entire week at a camp and this is how they're welcomed. Every single volunteer shows up and is lining the street at the entrance to camp and they are welcomed. And they're cheering as loud as they can or if it's a camper that is affected in a way that cheering isn't good for them, then you know they do silent hands as, a, as a, an opportunity to welcome them. And it's a place where you experience a slice of heaven throughout the week as these parents experience rest and respite and the campers get to do all the activities as they're paired up with a buddy throughout the week and experience the love of Jesus Christ. And so I want to close today just with an invitation. I know that um, our youth here at Coastline are, are heading to Camp Attitude and this a wonderful ministry, and we're so thankful to, to hear that you guys are taking those steps. And for those of you that aren't 
and might be interested in serving in a similar fashion for those families living with disability, this is a wonderful invitation for you to experience what it looks like to come alongside families and individuals living with disability. Family retreat is how it changes our hearts. We have volunteers that come from all over, the Big C Church coming together. We have four different opportunities to do camps, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And out of all that, what God does in the hearts of our volunteers is an amazing experience that we encourage them to take back with them to their church so that they're ready. They know now that they're equipped, that they can step into coming alongside families in their community affected by disability and serve in the church and be part of creating friendships and creating gospel spaces of belonging in their church because they've taken that step. So I'm going to be here again uh, after church. Love to meet with you if you have questions and look forward to our, our training this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time this morning. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Spencer. Um, so before we uh, close up service, one, one of the things I want to do is, you know, one of the things he mentioned I appreciate is I think sometimes we, we just unintentionally can be oblivious to the fact that, you know, like create, we can unintentionally create barriers to, to people with disabilities kind of coming in and partaking. And what our goal is, and, and that's just for anyone and everyone to be able to come in and know who God is and to go out from here and make him known into this community he's placed us in. And so one of the, the best ways to just realize, I think, that, you know, this is something that is apparent or it affects our church as well is to hear from people that are struggling with disabilities or, or have family members that do that. So I'm going to invite the Wombles up here and they're going to share with you just some of their experiences with having a, a son that has some disabilities. So good morning, everybody. Um, so one of the first things that I wanted to start with is, you know, because we're going to talk about some of the challenges and things like that, but I, I kind of wanted to start with the blessings that the Lord's given us. Because, you know, when we got the news that Jackson, what was he, 18 months, that he was uh, on the spectrum and autistic, it, it broke my heart. You know, what, is he going to have a normal life? Is he going to be able to have a family? Things like that. And... It, it harkens me back to what that Chris was saying is that, that when we're broken and when we're, we're having a hard time with, you know, we, we realize we need somebody to save us. And that was one of the biggest blessings is it helped us to learn to depend on Jesus for everything. You know, as a, as a father, and I think just men in general, my, my general instinct is to fix things. <laughs> and it was something that I just couldn't fix. And so that was one of the biggest blessings is, we really had to depend on the Lord for everything. You know, it, it, I'm just so many struggles and so many unknowns and things like that. We had to depend on the Lord and our, our the fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, our appreciations for Jackson, right? Like some of, when he hits milestones, it's, it's a big deal. It's celebrations in our house, you know, and we get to we get to experience his growth in kind of unique ways that I don't know that everybody gets to. Sometimes we take for granted, you know, words, first words and things like that. You know, whenever he wasn't speaking for such a long time, now as he starts to gather words, it's it's a celebration. It's a big deal when he puts a couple words together. And I, I think maybe it's it's a blessing to us that we're able to experience it in that way. 
And then it, it, it essentially helped us to learn to store our treasures in heaven. We realized how unimportant some of the worldly things that we maybe held on to that they just weren't as important, you know, thinking about him and, and focusing on him and, and, and the Lord. It, it helped us to just store our treasures in heaven and not worry so much about the worldly things and that we typically do. It's easy to get kind of tracked on that and, and just worry about everyday things. And it just changed our perspective entirely on what was important and what wasn't important. You have any other blessings you want to add here? Uh, I'll just elaborate on a few points that um, Zach's already shared. Um, I really love Chris's message this morning because we got the diagnosis. Um, we were surprised, but it was also during the COVID shutdown right at the beginning. And so um, it was so hard at the time. And now I know what a mercy that was because we never started to lean on doctors or um, medications or therapies. And that's not to say those things aren't important or needed, but the spiritual health I can say is more important. And so we've ministered to that um, first and foremost and the physical secondary in some ways um, as appropriate, uh, but it keeps that focus consistently on Jesus. Um, and the treasures in heaven, just to give a, a more specific day-to-day um, -day what that might look like. Um, I know for Zach, it, you know, being a man, he likes to hunt, he likes to fish. Um, you know, a lot of us when we have sons think about sports and you know, we thought maybe he might have a BB gun by now and just some of those things that the Lord don't have for him um, and learning to be okay with that and then thinking about, well, what does the Lord have for him? And being able to really look at that, um, it's just been such a blessing. It's been humbling. <laughs> um, we remain open to correction at all times because there is no right uh, way, you know, maybe not even a wrong way all the time. Um, we just consistently go to the Lord in prayer and when we ask for wisdom, he absolutely gives it to us um, far more than I think what I could have ever imagined becoming a mom. Um, I should also add that we struggled with infertility for 12 years. And so um, before we conceived, we said yes to God and we said yes to what he had for us, um, whether that was with a child or not. But certainly when we got that diagnosis, there was no qualms about we are supporting our boy. We're grounding him in, the, in Christ and we're saying yes to God every day. So the blessing, you know, I, I want to move into some of the challenges, you know, um, that that just with having him here and, and coming to church every day and the daily aspects of some of the challenges we might have. And, and one of the big ones with church events and things like that is Jackson's behavior. You know, not everybody's used to, you know, for him being a, on the spectrum um, a lot of the times you might not recognize him as being different. You know, he, he kind of looks like a normal four-year-old boy. But some of the thing, his behavior at some, when he gets to somebody's new house that's a bunch of news things, and understandably people's houses aren't set up for a hyperactive autistic child, four-year-old autistic child, and so he sees new things, and he becomes obsessed over those things. And, and, and you know, we, we, we want to be courteous to other people's stuff we don't want to break in people's things and and so sometimes we spend most of our time at these settings kind of chasing Jackson around and it's hard to engage with other people when we're we're chasing him around trying to keep him away from breaking other people's stuff and and he he just doesn't have boundaries and respond the same as other kids his age might um and and one event for Jackson, if it's late at night or something like that, he 
he thrives on a consistent schedule, you know, and one event that's late at night that disrupts that schedule, it may be two or three days of readjustment for him where he's not sleeping at night or he's obsessive about something that he can't, can't get have that's, you know, inappropriate for him. But it could be two or three days of readjusting him back to his normal schedule. So sometimes we have to just choose not to go to some events because of that. You want to add anything to the challenges here? Yeah, um, so I, I also just want to be vulnerable with you all and say that sometimes, um, you know, as Christians, we need to believe our brothers and sisters when they say, Amen. it's okay if this happens. Um, and we need to trust that, you know, in the body, um, you guys have the heart to serve. And when you invite us, that we are all experiencing grace and giving grace um, abundantly. And so as Zach said, you know, one you know, night can cause a couple of days of um, lack of sleep. Um, and so I'll kind of bring that back to here with our kids ministry. Um, I, I think Coastline does a lot right. Um, we have a kids ministry. We have like a whole nother church of children, which is such a blessing. Um, and Jackson is included, you know, even when it's difficult. Um, all the teachers will give me a moment to kind of say, hey, we didn't sleep last night. And um, we all know with young kids, we don't sleep. But when I say that, I genuinely mean that sometimes we haven't slept in 24 hours or more, um, or he hasn't ate, um, you know, in a couple of days. And gut health and things like that can be big for people on the spectrum. And so um, what looks like him crashing and thrashing the ministry room is really him trying to acclimate to that space and to find something that he can relate to because his body's so uncomfortable. He doesn't know any other way to, um, you know, get that out. And so we're coming into a phase of, we've been praying real specifically about um, the Lord giving Jackson a desire for relationships. Um, you know, he doesn't connect well with people because the communication barriers, hyperactivity, you know, other things. Um, and some of you have experienced my son coming up to you and rubbing on you recently or, you know, pouring out hugs and trying to speak to you. And I just want you to know that that's an answered prayer. Um, and it's amazing because he used to run straight to the fire pit for the first eight months we attended. Uh, we would leave church and go straight out to the farthest end of the field. Um, and, you know, our fence doesn't extend all the way down and Jackson still flees. Um, so we even now will have to pull away from you guys and, you know, kind of run down there. And um, I'm so appreciative that the Lord is so good in how he creates man and woman that we can complement each other so well where I am weak, Zach strong and vice versa. Um, and so we kind of take off with him and now he hangs out at the swing set for a little bit and you know, he, he tries to come up to you guys and he tries to swing with the other kids. And um, so all that to say, I just, I want you guys to know that you guys have so much that you're doing right and, and we're so appreciative of that. And the Lord is so good to us here, I think, and good to um, all of our children as well. Yeah, I would like to just piggyback off of that. You know, he was talking about um, the belonging side of that, and that has just as much to do with me and her. We have a tendency to to want to be courteous to others and our own insecurities and things like that. When people tell us that, yeah, it's fine, it doesn't matter, I I, I tend to still, you know, I, everybody says that, you know, is I don't know if they're maybe genuine or whatnot, and that's that's just as much on us, you know we have to accept help. We're, we're not very good at accepting help because we don't want to inconvenience people and things like that. And so a big part of that belonging is, is also on us to be able to accept that help because she's right, everybody here, it's been, this church has been an amazing blessing to us and, and, and Jackson, he's thrived here. And, and much to our surprise, 
the Lord delivers in unexpected ways and and you know it's been great here and he there's so many of his teachers that that he loves your son he's infatuated with you know it's it's been truly amazing and there are so much that we do right here and and I I thank everybody for that um we could talk all day so I'm going to just sum up a couple of things uh, maybe practical ways that you guys could um, you know, come along beside us if you have the desire to. Uh, first, I would like to just say that uh, if you have questions or things look weird, it's okay to say that. You know, um, you're not going to offend us. Come along. We're a wealth of information. We're happy to share and chat with you guys. And sometimes there's a lot of weirdness going on in our house. And um, you compromise where you can. You push where you can't. Um, and I think any of us that are parents to some degree could probably share in some of that. Um, the next thing would be, you know, talk talk with your kids about autism. Talk about the challenges of communication and how important nonverbal language can be. Um, one of the things, you know, I, I continuously pray for um, Jackson to be grown in knowledge um, and in wisdom. And he's really great at reading nonverbal communication. And, and he kind of knows if you actually want to chat with him or um, if you're tolerating him. So have, have that talk. Um, you know, remind your children that we're all made in the image of God um, and that we're all eternal beings here um, Till we get to our home together forever. Um, you know, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, um, let us think of ways to motivate each other and to do good works together. Um, as we've admitted, you know, you get so used to doing things on your own that it's hard to accept help or even sometimes hard to say, I need help and, and I don't know how to ask. The Lord's been cultivating this in us by us continuously being brought to our knees before him. Um, and so I would just invite you guys at any time we can always use prayer. We would love to pray for you. Um, and that's a, a really practical way to just come alongside one another. Um, the other thing is, you know, God has given these individuals unique gifts. Um, you know, I, I recently heard a couple testimonies of one family who for 16 years, the husband and wife was unable to sit and worship together because there was no kids ministry at all. And the day that that finally happened, um, their son was 21. And, um, you know, they they broke down. They, they just didn't even know how to sit and worship together. Uh, we're so grateful that we haven't experienced that here. Me and Zach are able to come together um, and to sit under our teachers and to spend time with the Lord, and that's been so refreshing and filling for us. Um, so, you know, Romans 12, 6, you know, help us to think of ways. Um, encourage Jackson to help. Um, you know, we love inclusion, and it's okay to challenge him, too. Um, and, you know, in a practical way, I can say that um, every day, being just a parent with Jackson, watching him, um, it grows my faith, it grows my obedience, and I hope that we can be an example to other parents right now. Um, the, there's a lot of linguistic theft when it comes to inclusion and the conversation about disability, and I just hope that I can show moms it's okay to be countercultural. It's okay for the Lord to be your great physician and the mighty counselor that he is um, here with us to be, that dwells within us, and um, so I, you know, just want to say that I think if you spend time with our son, that you'll be blessed in the same way. Um, you know, Isaiah 44, 3 through 5, for I, God, will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, and some will pr proudly proclaim I belong to the Lord, 
the only thing I ever want to hear and hope to hear or know about Jackson is that he belongs to the Lord. Um, and my final conclusion will be, I had included Luke 14 as part of our testimony, and I love that that was part of the mission of Johnny and Friends. And um, I would just like to leave you with this image that it gives me of us all sitting around the banquet table together. Um, and in God's economy, you know, things are different than they are here. And I can't wait to see the disabled and the blind and the lame and maybe, you know, teachers with Down syndrome and the things that here right now in this world we don't get to see. I know that we'll see in heaven because God is faithful. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. You know, as... Nikisha was talking about, um, you know, just acknowledging the, the gifts in her son and the plans, you know, God, you know, considering what are the plans for him, you know, it might look different than somebody else, but God has plans, you know, God has given him giftings. I, I couldn't help but think of First Corinthians 12, where God's like talking or through Paul, God's saying that every single part of the body of Christ, every single person here is significant. They have a role to the extent like, it says that if, if, if we're missing one person, then we're not gonna function effi- effectively. We're, not gonna, we're gonna miss out. And if we're all doing what we're supposed to, then we're all gonna be blessed. And so that includes everyone, disability or not. That there, there's no conditional uh, condition to that. It's a promise, you know, basically. Um, it's, well, I'm just gonna read it. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. But I think that just reiterates the importance that um, we're doing everything we can to uh, involve everybody in knowing Christ and in making him known. And if that means like being intentional about, you know, awareness of, oh, you know, this person might not be able to do this, but um, because of something that, you know, going on with them, but they, you know, we could, they could do this, you know, or they have a heart for this. Like just even, you know, intentionally, you know, seeing what their giftings are and, 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 and conversing with them and, and, and trying to make that effort to like plug them in and become a part of the body, that whole Acts 242 mentality so that they're sitting under the word, they're learning to pray, they're having fellowship with us as a family because they're part of our family. You know, we should absolutely be doing that, right? Right? Amen, no doubt about it. So it's, it's something that we always just wanna be aware of and, and I think that, you know, inadvertently if, if we're not a, intentional about doing that, we, we, we could be missing out on the blessings that God intends in, in the way he wants to use everyone in this church family uh, and the giftings he's called them to bless us and edify and build each other up. So, you know, with that, you know, during this time of response, I just think it's, it's, it's good to take the time to acknowledge um, and, and see what that means for us individually. You know, like as far as like there are people in our lives, just like the Wombles that the Lord has placed um, and they're not the only ones in this church that have people with disabilities that how does the Lord want me to be 
in, uh, a part of their life and including them in, in the body of Christ and, and, and making sure that um, there's nothing going on that's hindering them, you know? And maybe that means just practically like ministering to them through daily, like inviting them to a home church or, you know, like inviting them out for coffee or something like that. Or it might be more of a, you know, like a, a more formal ministry where the Lord's stirring your heart. And it's like, man, I think we could really benefit from having a ministry that's focused on just ensuring that we're, we're ministering to those with disabilities well. I know that takes people to do, and I'm willing to step up because I have that burden. I believe the Lord's put it there. You know, could be a multiple of things, but just giving room for the Lord to lead you in kind of those things and then responding as he does, right? And then going back to what I said in the beginning, maybe you're here today and you're somebody that you, you struggle, you're struggling with something, like physically, mentally, whatever it might be, and you're looking for help. Now, you could be a believer of Jesus Christ and still be in that place as we've all come to find out. We, we still struggle with things. We still look for help. And I love how, great, how um, Zach pointed out the blessings in that struggle because with the Lord, we don't just grow, go through trials. We grow through trials. And there's always God's grace evident, even in the bad things, if we're looking correctly. And he, pointed, he did a great job of pointing that out. So... Maybe we just need God's help to kind of remind us of the grace that, that he's trying to show us in that difficult thing that we're dealing with. And it's just as simple as like responding to him and asking him for help, just like this guy did in John 5, and then God meeting you in that time or that place of need. And it might be, not be the way you want. I mean, here's the thing. We all will be healed one day when we're with the Lord, just like Nikisha was talking about. When we're at the banquet table, all right? That's why we look forward to heaven because that's ultimately, that's the finish line. And when we're there, the, the infirmities that we suffer here on this earth will be gone forever. But all that to say is he does still heal today, just like he did in John 5, but sometimes that healing looks different. Sometimes it's like he responds to grace or to Paul when he was had an infirmity and he said, mm, it's better that you deal with this because in my weakness, you'll be strong. You'll get to see me do things in you that you wouldn't if you were relying on yourself. It's gonna make you relying on me. And so we just need God to help us understand that. Like Paul, he asked for help. God's like, this is actually better for you. And then he learned to embrace that suffering. All right, I see God in it. And I wanna see God. I wanna know God. So I, he's helping me with this. And I'm all for it. So maybe it's just coming to God and him kind of revealing that to you and showing you that. But it starts with that moment, uh, that, that humility and just understanding you need help in going to God. And maybe you're visiting here for the first time today or you, you just don't even have a relationship with God and you need to understand your need for him to forgive you of your sin and come into a relationship with him. And today you can do that. So we're gonna have our prayer team around the room and we're there to pray however you need. So take advantage of that. Don't be ashamed because there's nothing to be ashamed of. We're all in the same boat. We all need help in some way or another and God is there to help us. And he's given us each other to kind of be that physical uh, representation of him so that we can go and, and pray with our brothers and sisters and not bear those burdens by ourselves and have those there to support us practically. Amen? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for uh, the Wombles and the testimony they shared today, Lord. Father, we... <laughs> Any of us that experience Jackson know the blessing that he is. 
And Lord, we know you got great plans for him. You say it, we already see it. We see, I, I just even see that answer to prayer, that affection that he has, which I mean, that's not normal for everyone to be able to show that type of affection, compassion, which we know you have for us. So even in that, that's not only an answer prayer, but that's a gifting. And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to develop those giftings in him. Help his parents see him, help us see them. Help us be those that encourage him in those giftings so he can be used to edify and build us up. And may we be there to support them in, in, in training them up in the way he should go in knowing you and anyone else here, Lord. Anyone else here that's a part of the family that you've given us, Lord, we wanna be faithful and inclusive and, and not preventing anyone from coming to you. We wanna help them come to you, Lord. So show us how we can do that. If we're doing things wrong or we're inhibiting people from doing that, show that to us and help us be humble and, and learn. And for those of us that need to just reach out to you for help, Lord, whatever in whatever way that might be, may we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, knowing that you care for us and cast our cares to you, as it says in 1 Peter 5. Knowing that you're for us and not against us, that you're promised to work all things for our good, that our present circumstances are leading to the promised prize, that there's a purpose that you give us for the hard things we go through in life, where you're using them to mature us, to help us know you, to strengthen us. May we find that help in you that we can't find anywhere else, just like that man in John 5, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.